are in our fifth week in the Gospel of Luke, talking about what does it mean to have a faith, a life that is with Jesus? What does it mean to have all the different parts of our life connected to Jesus? What, what would that do? What would that mean? How would that change things in, in your life? That's, that's what we're talking about. And really, we're going to spend the whole year looking at the Gospel of Luke. It's the, the longest book in, uh, of the four Gospels. And so we're spending time talking about what does it mean to have life with him, whether you are just starting out faith and wondering what would it mean to really have life with Jesus, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long, long time, and this is a, a helpful kind of reset to really look at Jesus and look at him, look at his life, look at his message, and see how that changes things, how that changes us. So I'm going to pray for us and pray for myself also because I'm feeling under the weather. And so uh, I've got a bucket up here. If I, no, I don't really. I'm not, I'm not feeling like that sick if you shook my hand. Uh, but I, I, I've got, you know, kind of a, a cold thing going on and I'm on some cold medicine. So if that affects my brain at all, you need to, it's not my fault. So, um, so Father, I, I pray right now that you would help uh, us. Would you give us uh, attentiveness to your word? Would you help me, God, to communicate clearly uh, your word. And God, I know that we all come in here different parts. Uh, we come in here, some of us tired, some of us maybe guilty, some of us uh, joyful and encouraged, some of us uh, suffering. We come just with different things that we bring here today. But I know that you want to meet each of us. And so I pray that you would do that. Would you speak your word to our hearts where we need it most? I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we're talking about temptation today. And you have probably felt some sort of temptation this week. You've probably been tempted towards something. And a lot of times when we think of temptation, we kind of think of silly things. This is if you just Google temptation, uh, a little you know, question pops up on Google of what's an example of temptation. And it says it's an urge or desire to do something, especially something you should not. Or it refers to a wrong or forbidden pleasure that's exciting when you feel a strong urge to eat cake when you're on a diet. This is an example of temptation. So a lot of times we think about temptation, that's kind of what we think about. We think of like, ooh, I'm tempted to eat those donuts. I'm tempted to have that cake, but I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I could do that. Or another article that popped up was uh, from this evil woman that is saying stop to a donut. And there's, um, that's just because I love donuts. And it says the trick to resisting temptation. This is a social psychologist just kind of talking about temptation. But a lot of times when we think about temptation, this is kind of what we think about, right? We, there was also some of the top pictures were Temptation Island, but I wasn't going to show you pictures of that. So some of the main stuff that we think about is, is this, right? It's kind of sweets and candies and kind of these silly little things. There's even a quote that they have in here that says, Oscar Wilde famously said, I can resist anything except temptation. And that's a lot of times what we think about when we think about temptation. But temptation is those things, those little things, but it's more serious than that too. And you know this. I mean, faith, the Christian life, is a fight in a lot of ways. And there's a lot of things that come your way that are tempting. That can be in your job that you are tempted to cut corners or do things that you know you shouldn't do things that you're tempted to be dishonest about in your job because maybe it'll help you get ahead or to gossip about because maybe that'll get you in with the right people. Each of our vocations and, and jobs has kind of different things that are particularly tempting for us. 
That, that might be with your kids and you're tempted to be lazy and not really invest in them. It could be in your marriage. You're tempted to uh, view kind of all the problems as the other person's and, and really allow conflict to kind of take over. It can be temptation in your just time of, man, what, what do I do with my time? I really want it to be more about me. And, and you, have, you know that there's certain things you should do, but ah, you don't know if you really want to do those and you're tempted. Like temptation affects all the different parts of our lives, and it's, it's a fight. And you know this. You've, you've felt this. And, and yet, even though temptation is something we kind of know, hey, we need to resist temptation. We want to be faithful in the things that God has called us to. We want to be faithful in the roles or the areas that God's given us to. We want to resist temptation, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to resist temptation. It's hard to resist donuts, and it's hard to resist cake, but, it, but it's hard to resist the common temptations that, that you faced this week with whatever those might be. It's hard to resist temptation, and yet, when we don't resist temptation, a lot of times we look back and go, man, I really wish I could change that. I really wish I could get that decision back. I really wish I could redo what happened there. I, I know I was tempted, and I know in the moment it wasn't a good idea, but I did it, and I really wish I could get that back. If we were able to grow in resisting temptation, and that we would avoid a lot of regrets, we would avoid a lot of pain, we would avoid a lot of things that, that we fall into. But a lot of times we're not really sure how to handle the temptation. I've talked to many of many people throughout my life as a pastor, and a lot of times I think with temptation, sometimes we just kind of accept the fact that we're going to sin. And obviously we all are sinners, but sometimes we kind of use that almost as an excuse and resign ourselves to saying, man, nobody's perfect, and this is just kind of what it's going to be. And we've kind of given up on some ways of the fight to resist whatever the particular temptations are that we have. Or sometimes it's not so much that we've given up. You might not feel that outright, but you just kind of live with a sense of guilt, of temptation comes, you know you're going to mess up, you know you're going to do it again, you know it's going to happen again, and man, you feel bad about it and just go, okay, well, hopefully I can just do better next time. I think a lot of times we have lost the ability or we just don't really know how to handle temptation. But if we don't figure it out, if we don't grow in learning how to handle the temptation that comes our way, then we will not just sin, we will sin, but we'll also get knocked off of what God has for us in our life. There's a lot of things that will be tempting to you in your life that if you make the choice to fall into temptation, it's not just that you did a bad thing, that's true, but it's also that you can get knocked off course from what God has for you. You can get knocked off course from the life and the relationships that God desires for you to experience. But what if we could actually grow in handling temptation? That's what I hope to help us look at what Jesus says today and what happens to Jesus today. And maybe for you, this is particular things that you're tempted with. You might know the particular areas. You might say, if I said, hey, what's the thing you're tempted with? You might be able to pinpoint it and say it's this. Or it might just be in general. It might just be in life. How do I grow at handling the temptation that comes at me. And, and if we're going to do that, we have to really understand temptation at a greater level and really then know how to resist it. So we're going to look at this story that happened to Jesus, where Jesus was tempted. And then we'll explore together how to handle it, how to grow in resisting temptation. Here's what it says, Luke 4, 1 through 15. Then 
Jesus left the Jordan. This is right after, if you were here last, uh, not last week, I guess, two weeks ago. Jesus gets baptized, and the Father says, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This is my Son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus is baptized, identifying with his people, creating a new humanity. We talked about this. And, and now, right after that, right after he's baptized, this is what happens. Then Jesus left the Jordan, full of the Holy Spirit, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they were over, he was hungry. Understatement of the year. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. So he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it has been given over to me and I can give it to anyone I want. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will give his angels orders concerning you to protect you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. That is from the Psalms that Satan is quoting. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. After the devil had finished every temptation, he departed from him for a time. Then Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity. He was teaching in their synagogues being, synagogues, being praised by everyone. The first question I want us to look at is just how does temptation come? It will come. It will come. It's going to come today. It might even come during this sermon. It's going to come this week. It probably came this weekend. Temptation will come. And one of the reasons that we often fall into temptation is not just our will, but our wisdom. One of the reasons that we often fall into temptation is not just our willpower of, man, I can't resist, I don't know, but our wisdom, that we don't actually know how temptation comes. We don't understand it, and so therefore we're caught off guard. You've heard the phrase, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. And that's really what I want to do when we look at temptation here today, is to look at the nature of temptation. It says that Satan came to Jesus to tempt him. Now, look, I, I know this is Denver. It's 2020. You might not believe in Satan. More people believe in God than believe in Satan. More people believe in heaven than believe in hell. So I, I get that. Maybe, maybe you're not sure that you believe. Maybe you're not quite sure if there's this kind of evil force. But I, I believe that. The Bible believes that. Jesus believes that. But what I want you to do is just this, if, if you're kind of skeptical or unsure. I want you to hear what we talk about here and just ask yourself, have I felt this? Have I experienced this? And maybe you can chalk that up to just psychological factors, but maybe what the Bible reveals here about temptation and about Satan is pointing us to the fact, if we've all kind of had this common experience, maybe indeed it is true that there is a real enemy out there. So just that's kind of a side, but how does temptation come? How does it come to us? And the point of this is that we need to be able to better understand how it comes in order to resist it, okay? So I'm going to give you, uh, I think, seven, six things of how temptation comes. The first thing is this. It comes when things are good. It comes when things are good. I, I said this, but it says, then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, into the wilderness. 
If I said that God was going to lead you to something, if I said the Holy Spirit, if you were praying this weekend or you were praying even today, Holy Spirit, lead me. You might have been praying, Holy Spirit, lead me to a better job or Holy Spirit, lead me to a, a spouse or that boyfriend, that girlfriend. Oh, lead me, Holy Spirit. Lead me to make a good decision. Lead me to be able to. And the Holy Spirit here leads Jesus to be tempted. Right after Jesus is baptized, right after the Father says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, sometimes when life is going good, we think that we're safe. And I'm not trying to scare you, or, but, but you know this. Sometimes when, when everything is going its best, when you feel the closest to God, when you feel the closest to your spouse, when you feel the closest to your friends, when you feel like life is good, is sometimes when the temptation comes the strongest. That's what happened with Jesus. And in fact, God led him to be tempted. Because one of, God didn't tempt him, but God led him to be tempted because to be tempted is to be tested. And when life is going well, when life is going good and everything is clicking and you even feel the voice of God's approval over your life, sometimes we just kind of coast. And God continually brings us into things to test us and to see where is our faith really. Are we just, is life just good because things are good or is life good because we trust him? That's one of the first things that we need to know about temptation. You want to keep your friends close and your enemies closer? One of the things that you need to understand is that temptation isn't just what happens when you're at your lowest and your rock bottom and light. It comes when things are going great. Sometimes we can even look at this and be like, man, I didn't, where did this come from? I didn't expect this. How did this show up? I thought temptation comes when things are going great, partially because God wants to bring testing into our life. The second thing we see is that it comes patiently. It comes patiently. Look, I, I, I noticed this uh, maybe a handful of years ago when I was studying this passage for, for something else, but it was never how I was taught this, and I'll show you this in a minute. If you're familiar with this story and you've kind of heard about the temptations of Jesus, then usually you think about the three different temptations that Jesus has given, but that's not what it says. It says that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. We think about the three times that Jesus was tempted with the three specific incidents. But Jesus was tempted for 40 days. Those three incidents we have are the climax of Satan's temptation patiently for 40 days. Patiently, Satan is tempting him. He saves his kind of three things that we get in, in the Bible. We, he saves those three things for last. But what that means is Satan is a patient tempter. Now here's where this matters for our, here's why this matters for our life. Because sometimes we, we make some sort of choice that we're tempted by and we go, where did that come from? How did I do that? I never thought I was the kind of person that could do that. I never thought I was the person that could do that to my spouse, to my kids. I never thought I could lie like that. I never thought I could say those things. I never thought I could find myself in this situation. How did that happen? But temptation is always a slow fade. It always happens over time. And you might recognize, like we do in the Bible, the big three that come at Jesus, but Satan's been tempting him for 40 days. He's been priming the pump. He's been working at it, doing whatever he could for a while. It's like hunting. Now, I'm not a hunter, but I know hunters. And I know if you're hunting, especially if you're hunting elk or deer or something like that, and you're really into it, 
not just like drive by and you see an elk in evergreen and just shoot it from the car. But if you're like really into it, then you get out there and you prepare to tempt the deer, to, pre- to prepare to tempt the elk. You cover yourself in camo. You cover yourself in mud or pee. You make mating calls and you do all these things to tempt the elk to come to you. And the final temptation is the, you know, the, or the final kill is the shot in the head or, or wherever. But it's been a long process. You've been tracking their steps. You've been doing fake mating calls. You've been covered in urine. You've been doing all sorts of things to get to them. If that's even close, my hunting friends, then, you know, give me some sympathy, okay? <clears throat> so it's not just a, you don't just run out there with a gun and, you know, run up on an elk and, and shoot him. It's not how it works. And that's not how Satan works. Satan is a patient tempter. The things in your life that you go, how did I do that? Can be traced. Can be traced. And you could walk back. I mean, I'm not saying this is an exact formula, but you could walk back 40 days and go, well, wait a minute. First I, was, first I entertained that thought. Then I allowed that conversation to happen. Then I, was allowed, then I, w- then I watched that thing. Then I made a little compromise here. Then I made a little choice here. See, temptation is patient. Satan is patient. It's not just these big giant things you have to watch out for. Temptation happens in the little moments. Resisting needs to happen in the little moments. It's a slow fade that gets you to the place that you go, how could I ever have gotten here? That doesn't happen overnight, even if it feels like it. And then third, it, temptation comes strategically. It comes strategically. It's not accidental. It doesn't, it's not haphazard. It's not just, hey, what do you think about this? And try to tempt you with something. It's a strategic plan. You, you look at Satan even, and it says he tempts him to say, turn the, turn the stone into bread, and th- that didn't work. So that's a plan to say, hey, I've tried the bread thing. That didn't work. So that's intentionality. That's changing tactics. That's changing the direction. That's changing the temptation to try to do something new. It's strategic. It's chess. So that one didn't work. He took him to Jerusalem. And then even look at this. After the devil had finished, that means there's an intentionality. There was a plan for it. It wasn't just, hey, I'm just going to kind of do whatever I got. I'll try this. I'll try this. How about this? There's a plan after he had finished. And then this says, he departed from him for a time. Now, I don't actually love this translation because it actually in this says he departed from him for an, until an opportune time, which means he departed from him until, until it was right to strike again, until the opportunity was best again. That's all strategy. We're not just dealing with temptation coming in some haphazard way. If you look at, look. Look, 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 okay? <clears throat> what if you believed that you had a strategic enemy? Been playing Chinese checkers recently, which, by the way, was invented in Germany, but it was an American weird marketing thing that they had. Um, <clears throat> that's what, if you, you can look it up. Uh, been playing that with our kids recently, and in the rules, it, you know, you know this about any sort of strategy game, but it says, try to think about what your opponent is going to do first. What if you have a strategic enemy? 
that is thinking about you and your life? What if the temptations that are coming your way are not just accidental? You didn't just accidentally see that thing. You didn't just accidentally hear that thing. You didn't just accidentally fall into that conversation. You didn't just accidentally get into some sort of heated debate. You didn't just accidentally get scared. You didn't just accident. What if you have a strategic enemy that's timing it right, that tries one thing and that didn't work, so tries this thing, that has a plan and will do it until it's finished and might come back until an opportune time. Fourth, he comes powerfully. Now, maybe you haven't had this experience. I know many people haven't had this experience, but I also know from being a pastor for a long time that many people have had this experience. I was tempted to just skip over it, but I know that many of you have, so I think it's actually helpful to point out. It says, so he took him up and showed him all the kingdoms in the world of a moment of time. So he took him to Jerusalem, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. That's supernatural power. Now, whatever this is, this is a vision, this is something, I mean, you know, it's hard to know exactly, but there's some supernatural power that is shown here that Satan has in his temptation. Now, again, I know for some of you that's like, oh, that's weird or freaky or that's just the movies, or, but some of you have had dreams. And some of you have been overcome with fear. Some of you have been, in the nighttime, felt things. Some of you have felt what you maybe thought you were going crazy. But Satan does have power to tempt you. He has supernatural power at his disposal to try to tempt you. Maybe you're not crazy. Maybe you are, I don't know, but maybe you're not crazy. Maybe there's a supernatural power, dreams and voices and intense fear that you don't know where it came from. I'm not saying everything, but maybe some of the things that we chalk up to mental health issues, I'm not, don't hear me discounting that, but maybe some of the things that we chalk up to that is that we actually, ha- I mean, if, if Jesus had told this to somebody, I saw all the kingdoms in a moment of time, people would be like, you're crazy, bro. Maybe, maybe some of what you felt is actually satanic power to tempt you. And then this one is very important. This one's very important. He comes reasonably. He comes reasonably. And by that I mean he comes with wisdom. Satan is not a fool. Satan is not stupid. See, when we think about Satan, oftentimes we think about this. This is um, just you Google Satan or devil and put it in Google images. You get this picture as one of the top ones. You get this picture as one of the top ones. That's what we think about, right? This is what we think of when we think of Satan. If you've seen movies or if you're like a horror film kind of buff and you like, that's what we think of. We think of spinning heads and vomiting and craziness. That's what we think of when we think of Satan. But I, I talk to my kids about this all the time. If Satan comes to you and says, I want you to whatever, you know, it's my best Satan voice, okay? If he, if he says that, you're not going to listen to him. That's going to freak you out. You're, I mean, if, if I did that to you, you might be freaked out right now, right? Like, that's going to scare you. That's not how Satan comes. He comes reasonably. L- look at these. These are very reasonable things to say. He says, if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. I mean, Jesus is hungry. He's been fasting. 
Jesus has the power. Jesus has the power to make a stone bread. He can do that. Later in his life, he takes, he takes a handful of, you know, basically a Lunchable and feeds 5,000 people. He can do that. So a stone into bread, that's easy. It even looks like bread already. That's not even that hard. It's just, there we go, boom. David Blaine might even be able to do it. It's not that hard. <clears throat> but it, it's reasonable, right? You're hungry. You're Jesus. You've got power. I will give you the splendor and all this authority. Look, that's reasonable too. Say, you've come to be the king of the world, right, Jesus? It was prophesied about you that you've come to be the king of all these kingdoms. I, I can give it to you. That's not some demon voice like, come here. And it's, it's, it's a very reasonable, these things are in line with Jesus' mission. And this one, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he quotes the Bible. Like Satan knows the Bible. Satan quotes the Bible. He says to Jesus, look, it's written in the Bible. God will protect you. Isn't that reasonable? He's telling Jesus, look, God's going to protect you. The Bible says so. None of it's crazy. Temptation comes reasonably. Here's what this means for us. Temptation often speaks to your hurts. It speaks to your needs. It speaks to your purpose in life. That's the things that Satan did to Jesus. It speaks to our pain. It speaks, it gives us solutions. It gives us wisdom. We, when we are tempted, think things like, and this is what Satan is saying to Jesus, I mean, doesn't God want me to be happy? I mean, shouldn't I? Aren't I called? Doesn't the Bible say I'm called to provide for my family? So don't I need this money? Doesn't God want me to feel love? It's not hurting anyone. Who's this hurting? I, I, I'm loving my neighbor. I'm not hurting anybody. Listen, this is a key that maybe if you forget everything else, maybe this thing is one of the things that needs to stick with somebody here today. The power of Satan in temptation. Sometimes we say that Satan lies to us. But listen, the power, the most powerful part of temptation is not when Satan lies to you, it's when he tells you the truth. Partially. I mean, all those things that he told Jesus are true. He didn't lie to him. The most powerful kind of temptation is that which is true. In some way. See, Satan is a liar. The Bible calls him the father of lies. But it also calls him the deceiver. And deception is a little bit different. It's taking what's true and just not applying it correctly. It's taking the Bible. He quotes God's words. It says, here is the Bible. Listen, people quote the Bible all the time. People speak the Bible all the time. That doesn't mean that it's used correctly. It doesn't mean that it's used rightly. The Bible can often be one of the best ways to justify your sin. That's what Satan does. <clears throat> he comes reasonably, and then finally he comes consistently. He comes consistently. We already looked at this, but the devil had finished every temptation. He departed from him for a time. Here's why I wanted to point that out, that he comes consistently. Because sometimes you think, I resisted it. 
Okay, I got through the weekend. I got through that interaction with my friends. I got through that interaction with my family. I got through the holiday. I got through that date. I got through, uh, you know, that meeting that I had to have. I got through it. (sighs) And you might have. And you might have felt victorious. And it might have been awesome. And you might have resisted the temptation in that moment. But then sometimes we let our guard down. Think, okay, I got through it. And now I'm good. You know the thing that is tempting, and you put all defenses up. You ask people to pray for you. You, you kind of beef up your spiritual strength. Maybe you read the Bible a little bit. You remind yourself. You make a plan. You, you go into it. <sighs> you pass the test. And now you feel like you can let down. And maybe it's in that moment that Satan comes back. See, temptation comes consistently. Just because he left doesn't mean he quit. Leaving isn't quitting for Satan. And he was going to come back to Jesus later, and he will come back often to us. How does temptation come? It it comes in in these ways. And this is what Jesus' experience was, and it's often what our experience is going to be. And like I said, you can look at these and go, you know what, I have, I felt that. And you can see how hard it is to resist temptation when we have an enemy that knows what he's doing. If you want to be able to handle temptation, you want to grow in it, one of the things we have to do first is keep our friends close and our enemies closer. But second thing is we need to understand really what the temptation is. So what is the temptation that comes to Jesus? And what happened to Jesus is oftentimes what happens with us. Think about what is the temptation that Jesus was actually tempted with. Here's the the three things. We've already seen them, but if you're the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. I'll give you the splendor and all this authority. You can, you can have all the kingdoms. You, you've come to be the king of the world. Okay, you can have them. If you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Basically, come up to the top of the temple. Throw yourself down. Prove that God loves you. You see, you know what these, you know what these all are? You know what all these are? These are actually good things. See, the best temptation is not bad things, but good things. The best temptation is not bad things, but good things that we make too important. This is true in all of our lives. Is it bad to eat bread? Is it bad if you're, is it inherently a sin for a hungry person to eat bread? No, of course not. Is it wrong for Jesus to be the king and have all authority? No, that's what he actually came to do. That's a good thing. Is it wrong for Jesus to know that God is going to protect him and be there for him? No. These are all good things that Satan is actually getting at. See, the best temptation in your life, this is, again, so important. The best temptation that the enemy will bring to you, that Satan will bring to you, is not bad things. If you're a low-level, if you're an entry-level intern demon, what you're going to do is tempt people with bad things. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever. If you're, a, if you're an entry-level intern, that's what you're going to try. But when you're a professional, been in the game for a while, expert Satan, you're going to use good things to tempt people, to take them away from God. See, the things that are most going to get you and get me off track in our lives is family, your job, being liked by people, which isn't a sin, Wanting God to provide for you comfort in life, which isn't bad. 
It's all the things that are actually good things. Security, happiness, love. If you think about the worst decisions that you've made in your life, in the moment you thought, I am choosing my happiness. I'm choosing my family. I'm choosing my career. I'm choosing my passions. I'm choosing whatever it is, right? I mean, the worst decisions you made, you weren't going, I'm really making a bad decision today. That's not, I mean, maybe, but that, that's pretty rare. You weren't tempted with evil. You were tempted with good that took the place of God. That's what Satan did with Jesus. Often the voice, let me say this just another way. Often the voice of temptation begins with this. There's nothing wrong with dot, dot, dot. There's nothing wrong with being happy. There's nothing wrong with a little me time. There's nothing wrong with appreciating feminine beauty. There's nothing wrong with a little flirtation at the office. We're just being playful. There's nothing wrong with connecting with people I went to high school with on Facebook. There's nothing wrong with getting, getting some advice from a friend about another friend. There's nothing wrong with Asking for prayer from people about this issue I have with this person. There's nothing wrong with stating my opinions. Often temptation begins with, and in some ways it's true, there's nothing wrong with eating a little bread, being the king of the world, wanting God to protect me and show his love for me. There's nothing wrong with, listen, where have you heard that? Where have you said that? Heard might actually be better because that's the voice of temptation outside of yourself. But where have you heard there's nothing wrong with? Where are you telling yourself that right now? There's nothing wrong with fill in the blank. That's oftentimes what the core of temptation is. It is a good thing. To eat bread, to be the king, to see God's protection. But if something takes you away from what God says or takes him away from being the center of your life and doing things his way, having him be all, that's what temptation is. And secondly, it's not just good things. The other thing I want you to see about kind of what the core of temptation or what is the temptation that comes is it's temptation directly about God's character. It's about God's character. Look, look at all these three temptations again, and you can see that implicit in them, Satan is saying, God's not really good. If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. He's saying, look, Jesus, you might have to take care of yourself here. This Holy Spirit's the one that led you out here to be by yourself, and now you're hungry. and You might have to, you might have to provide for yourself. I don't know if God's going to do that for you. Listen, I know that you came here on your father's orders to be the king of the world, but do you really want to go through that whole cross thing? Do you really want to suffer and die? I can give it to you free. I can give it to you with no cross. I can give it to you with no pain. If you're the son of God, and even look, if you are the son of God, see, that's part of that, right? If God, that's saying, if God really loves, yeah, I know you were just baptized and, 
and that the father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased and whom I love. But come on, if he really loves you, if you're really his son, if you're really his son, let's see. If you're really his son and he really cares about you, throw yourself down. You know, this, is, this might seem kind of stupid. It just seems kind of like truth or dare. Teenagers are playing of like, hey, throw yourself down and let's see if God you know, saves you or something. But he's really saying, look, you say you believe that God's going to protect you no matter what, but don't you really want to know that for sure? Don't you want to know for sure? Have you ever prayed this? I've prayed it. God, I really need to know that you're for me right now. Show me a sign. You ever prayed that? You ever said, God, I really need to know that you love me. I really need to know that you're in control right now. I really need to know that I can trust you. Show me. That's what Satan is saying to him. Don't you want to know it? Don't you want to be absolutely sure? He's getting at God's character. Does, he, does God really care about your needs? Is his plan, this whole cross thing, is that really the best? Is he really going to protect you? Have you felt this? This is one of the cores of temptation, which is Satan saying that God's not coming through for you. God's not coming through for you. He's not coming through for you in your marriage. He's not coming through for you. You wanted to be married, and it's been so long at least that's what your mom says, and you, you, wanted, you want it. God's not coming through for you. He's not coming through for you in your job. He's not, you, you're trying hard, and everyone else is getting promoted, and everyone else is getting... He's not coming through for you. If, if he really loves you... See, Satan's best tactic is not bad things, it's good things. And it's to get you to doubt how good God is. It's to get you to think, God doesn't love me. God isn't for me. It's to get you to believe that God isn't who he says he is. One of the kids' Bibles that we read in my family is called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And in, um, in Genesis, the story is called The Terrible Lie. And it, it really, I, I wanted to just kind of show you this because it, it really speaks to this idea that in the garden, the original lie, we think about it as just like, hey, do you want this fruit? But that's not really what it was. It was saying, and I'll just read, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but part of it. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered slightly up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. If he does, why won't he let you eat this nice, juicy, delicious fruit? Poor you. Perhaps God doesn't want you to be happy. The snake's words hissed into her ears and sunk down deep into her heart like poison. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly, she didn't know anymore. Then she eats the fruit, and it says this, A terrible lie came into the world. It would never leave. It would live on in every human heart, whispering to every one of God's children, God doesn't love me. That's exactly what Satan is doing with Jesus. See, because... Little lies make a little difference. Little lies make a little difference. If I, I don't know how big this TV is. Let's say it's 50 inches. But if I said, hey, this is a 30-inch screen, you're going to be like, that guy really doesn't know how to measure. But you're not going to go, oh my gosh, my whole world is shattered. 
Little lies make a little difference. And I'm not, by the way, trying to say that to justify, you know, that you just made some white lies. And you're like, yeah, see, that's what I'm saying. It's not that big of a deal. That's not what I'm saying. But little lies make a little difference. But a big lie, if Satan can get you to believe, God doesn't love me. If Satan, can get, if Satan could get Jesus to believe, God's plan isn't the best. God's not really going to provide for you. God's not really going to take care of you. If Satan can get you to believe that, that affects everything. It might seem like a little lie, but it's the core of temptation. That God doesn't love me. If you're really the son of God, these are the core. You've got to keep your friends close and your enemies closer. If you think that temptation is just bad things that you're kind of faced with, you'll probably keep on going. And I hope you can also see this as we're looking at how temptation comes and what the temptation is, that it's not easy. It doesn't say it in Luke, but in Matthew's account of this story, it says at the end of it that angels came and ministered to Jesus and strengthened him. Listen, if if you're facing temptation right now, and whatever it is, you're facing temptation in relationships, you're facing temptations in finances or purity or whatever it is, if you're facing temptations and you feel like, man, it's a fight, it's a battle, I just, man, it's all I can do to put one foot in front of the other, it is hard. It's hard. Even for Jesus, it was hard. And it said the angels came to strengthen him. So how do we, how do we resist when it comes? How do we resist? It's not willpower, just kind of push it down and move past it. Like, okay, temptation's coming, but I'm just going to do my best today. It's not to even avoid it. Sometimes we think the best way to stay out of temptation is to avoid it. And there can be some you know, uh, wisdom in that with some things, but you're never going to be able to fully avoid temptation because you can be tempted just with your thoughts. You can be by yourself locked in a tiny little box and still be tempted to sin. And sometimes we think it's external tools that I need that will get me out of temptation. And all that might be helpful to some degree, but it's not going to give you the strongest power that you need to resist temptation. And let me say this too, especially for those of you that are Christians. Sometimes when this story is read, or just maybe even how you think about resisting temptation, or um, if you read this story and go, how is it that Jesus resisted temptation? A lot of times, what people get out of the story is the way to resist temptation is the Bible. Over and over again, Jesus said, it is written, it is written, it is written, and use the Bible to fight against temptation. But that also is not enough to help you resist temptation. What I mean by that is this. Jesus doesn't just quote the Bible. He doesn't just say, uh, Satan, you're tempting me, but the Bible says not to do this, so I'm not going to do this. The Bible says not to do this, I'm not going to do this. That's not what it is. And I'll show you. But remember, what Satan is tempting him with is to doubt the character of God. And what Jesus counters with is the Bible, but particular parts of the Bible stating the truth of who God is. See, it's not just the teaching of the Bible that you need to resist temptations. It's the person of God that you need. Because if the core of temptation is to get you to doubt God, then what you need is to believe God. In all of Jesus' responses, it is written, man must not live on bread alone. Matthew fills in the rest of the quote, which says, but on the very words of God. And the words of God that Jesus has just heard leading up to this 
wasn't just the Bible. It was, you are my son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan is saying, come just for a minute, bow down to me. And Jesus is remembering and saying, only God is worthy of worship. Only God is the king of this world. I can't worship you. God is the sovereign. God is the creator. And Jesus answered him, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. Satan says, throw yourself down and prove that God loves you. And he says, I don't need to prove that God loves me. God has already said that he loves me. I don't need to prove it. I don't need to test him. He's already proven it. He's already said it. See, Jesus doesn't just counter with Bible, random Bible verses. He, in each single one, counters with, here's who God is. Here's who God is to me. I know you're trying to get me not to believe who God is, but this is who God is. You want to resist temptation? That's one of the key things you need to know. What are the things that you are being tempted by? What underneath those are the, the, the doubt that Satan's trying to create in your heart about who God is? And what is the truth of who God is that you need to speak to your own heart? All of these things that, that Jesus quotes are from Deuteronomy chapter 6 through 8. Which most people would say then Jesus was kind of meditating and thinking about this while he was out in the desert. And he's drawing on the truth of Israel when they were in the desert, tempted to turn away from God, tempted to not believe who God was, tempted to not believe that God was good after he had freed them from slavery, tempted to not believe that he was going to protect them, provide for them, care for them. And Jesus is saying, no, I know who my God is. I know who my father is. And he's able to resist not just with random Bible verses, but with the truth of who God is. That's the first thing that we need to resist. And then the second thing we need is Jesus. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes you can look at this passage and go, okay, this is how Jesus did it. That's how I'm going to do it. But ultimately, we fail. Like, we fail in the test of temptation. Jesus didn't, but we do. We can read this as an example from Jesus but we know that we fail in temptation, and Jesus is not just our example. Jesus resisted temptation from Satan over and over again, as heated as it got, as hard as it was, for 40 days, without food. Why? He resisted all that so he could live a perfect life, so he could save you and me. So Jesus fought against temptation not just to be some morally pure person, but so he could go to the cross, forgive us of our sins, and save us and bring us into his family. He was willing to endure as hard as it got to save us. What that means is that when we're faced with temptation, we can, like Jesus did, not have to doubt his goodness. He would do this for me. He would save me. He would endure for me. Which is why Later in the Bible, it says this. It says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You feel weak in the temptation? But one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, so when you look at the fact that Jesus was tempted and didn't sin, what do we do with that? Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy 
and find grace to help us in time of need. See, what it says is because Jesus resisted temptation, that means that in our fight against it and in our weakness against it, we can go to him because he's the one that we know can resist it. Which means whatever you're tempted with, whatever you're facing, you can go to Jesus and say, I know that you are the defeater of Satan and temptation, and I need your grace, and I need your mercy, both to forgive me when I fail and to help me in this moment. So I don't know what you're tempted with. We're tempted with things all across the board. The Bible says no temptation is uncommon to man, meaning we're all faced with all sorts of different temptations all the time. Jesus can help you. He is our example that we can look at as the one that trusted God, but he's also the Savior that provides mercy and grace to help. What are you tempted with? You want to grow in handling it? You want to grow in resisting it? You want to grow in in staying faithful to the course that God has for you? In those moments, say, Jesus, you are the great resister. I need you. And in those moments when you fail, say, Jesus, you are the only perfect one that could resist temptation, and you did that to save me. Thank you. Forgive me again. And help me again. What would happen if we could grow in handling temptation? What would happen in your life if those things that keep coming back, you were able to understand a little bit more how the strategy comes and to rely on Jesus' help through it? I think we would see a lot of change in our life. I think we would see a lot of health in our life. You know, it ends... That little section ends, and it says, after that, so after all this temptation came, after that, Jesus left full of the power of the Spirit. I think part of what that is saying is this. Oftentimes, it's only on the other side of the things that you're tempted with that you're going to experience God's great purpose for your life. Jesus is led by the Spirit into temptation, and he resists temptation, and then it says he left full of the power of the Spirit. You're going to be tempted all the time. And there's things on the other side of that. Things on the other side. Greater health in your relationships. Greater health in your friendships. Greater purpose in your life. Greater freedom in your life. That are often only on the other side. Jesus is the one that helps. When we take, when we take communion, we remember that he forgives us of every temptation that we failed in. He went to the cross to forgive us of our sins. His body broken, his blood shed to forgive every temptation that we have succumbed to. And to bring us into his family where we have him as our good and loving resistor, our high priest that can help us with whatever we're going through. So we're going to pray, we're going to take communion, and we're going to sing a few songs in response to our good Father. So Father, I pray now that you would help us. Help us even as we take communion and sing to just remember your goodness again. God, I I don't know um, what everyone's going through in this room. But I do ask, God, that you would silence the voice of Satan. The voice that says that you don't love us. The voice that says there's nothing wrong with. The voice that says, isn't this a good thing? The voice that says, if you really are loved by God, whatever the voices that we hear, whether that feels external to us or feels internal to us, God, whatever those voices are from the enemy, I pray that you would silence 
and allow us to hear your voice be the most powerful. Help us to trust you and your goodness and your love that you've already declared to us in Jesus. Let that be deeper and deeper in our hearts, even now. In your name we pray.